My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know, we've now heard from two-thirds of the companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average this earnings season already. And they're going the way of the bulls, not the bears. There's been a lot of beats, few misses to speak of. And that's a big reason why the market's doing so well, even as it pulled back today. Dow dipping 46 points, S&P edging down 0.04%, NASDAQ declining 0.11%. Didn't like that close action. I mean, but remember, this was supposed to be a bad earnings season. If anything, it's pretty darn good. Now, I know everybody was focused on J.P. Morgan swooping in to buy the carcass of First Republic for a pittance today. I'll talk about that later. But right now, I want to run through every Dow stock that's reported so far. I think the market's going to be a little rocky here in the days ahead. We've been selling some stock for the Chapel Trust. So what I'd like to do is dive into them, and you'll have some stocks to buy if the market indeed goes lower, particularly into the Fed or the employment number on Friday. Why don't we go in alphabetical order? And we're going to start with American Express. Now, this had a gigantic quarter with tremendous growth in the millennials and Gen Zs. Cross-border travel came back. I mean, you could do far worse than owning this one, even though people have been selling it like mad. I don't really get it, frankly. I I liked American Express. Amgen, well, I mean, I could go back and forth and bounce, but I think it's just easier to say it was a clear miss. And simply disappointing sales. Fair to middling situation at best, definitely one for the bears. I wish the keepers of the Dow had chosen a better representative of the healthcare industry than this one. All right, how about Boeing? Hey, not bad. I think it's finally done going down. You always want to buy Boeing when it ramps up production. It has more orders right now that it can handle, so you're getting that ramp up. Of course, it has problems, but the quarter was the first genuine beat in a while. I wish we'd go below 200 to get a better story. I would pull the trigger then. How about Caterpillar, which reported a gigantic beat, but failed to raise its forecast because it doesn't give one. That gave the bears free reign to make up stories about order cancellations, as that's what normally happens at this point in the business cycle. But they're forgetting about all that federal infrastructure spending that's going cat's way. I just came back from Washington after having lunch with infrastructure czar Mitch Landrieu, and I say I think cat could have huge orders next year. If it comes down, you got to get on board. Next, Chevron. They have the misfortune of reporting the same day as the golden boy, Exxon. So even though Chevron's quarter was good, nobody cared because Exxon's was tremendous. We got a big beaten race from Exxon. I think that's terrific. What's not to like? Coca-Cola? Okay, I say they just crushed it. As always, right? Uh, they came out with 12% organic growth when Wall Street was only looking for 10. Yes, a lot of that's inflation, but that's not Coca-Cola's problem. They had both tremendous pricing power and solid share take. A win's a win. Dow did okay. It wasn't perfect. We interviewed them on Squawk on the Street. I put it not bad, maybe. I, I know the estimates here are, are all over the map. I want to put Dow in the neither here nor there camp. Because while pricing on some lines was great, on others it wasn't. Goldman Sachs, I'm walking over here to tell you that they failed to deliver. And I point out simply it, it's been a tough, tough run for Goldman. And I don't even know if they're giving some serious thought to how to boost revenue until the IPO market and corporate finance come back. All of this small-time consumer banking stuff was just awful. Goldman bought this company Green Sky, a home improvement lender at the top of the cycle, for $2.24 billion. They just closed the deal 13 months ago, and now they want to sell it. What an ill-advised purchase. 
Definitely, this is a second win for the bears. Oh, while I'm over here, people didn't like IBM's revenue growth, even as in good earnings and decent hybrid cloud growth. They always brag, by the way, about how many big companies use them. And that may be true, but I think that the sale that the sales to all these companies may not be as big as the bulls would hope. I'm giving this one definitely to the bears. Now, Honeywell, this could be maybe, I don't know, one of the great stories of the entire quarter so far. It really stole, it maybe even stole the show, frankly. The stock's been a dog this year after doing incredibly well for so long. Honeywell's aerospace business is accelerating. Its refining chemicals business has gotten better. Climate controls were good, too, as was automation. But I don't want to bury the lead. You buy this one for aerospace. It kind of mimics what you would get if you were to buy Boeing without the bad, well, let's just say without the misfires. Now, what do we make of, of Intel? It was hideous, but not as hideous as you might expect. Hey, that's okay. It allowed the stock to roar. CEO Pat Gelsinger tells me this is the long away to turn. I hope he's right because it's been a nightmare. I'm putting Intel in the could have been worse category. That's a win for the bulls to some degree. Now, if Johnson Johnson didn't have this ongoing asbestos litigation about talc, I hate to call it asbestos, but we're doing what the lawyers would do, the stock would have soared after the quarter. There was a terrific acceleration for Kenview, which apparently they're going to pull that deal maybe even as early as this week. Medical devices was sharply better than expected. Uh, People can finally go to the hospital for non-urgent surgery. Total win for the bulls. But again, this talc asbestos litigation is very bad. They've got to get that into prepackaged bankruptcy and make it work. How about McDonald's? Oh, they had 12.6% same-source sales growth. People are only looking for 9.3. That's an incredible acceleration. Unfortunately, the stock's having a parabolic move, like Chipotle. I don't know if I buy it. I never like to buy parabolic moves. I need a pullback. Merck ran into the print, and that run was justified because they shot the lights out. Incredible numbers from Keytruda, the revolutionary cancer drug that's turning a fatal disease into what I call a chronic condition. I think Keytruda may be one of the best-selling drugs of all time. People keep fretting about its loss of patent protection six years from now. Six years is a long time, but in the meantime, they bought Prometheus in order to be able to take, put some new drugs into the pipe. Microsoft stole the earnings season along with Honeywell, okay? And this time it was done with Azure, its cloud division. And it, it had great numbers across the board from the per se business software to gaming divisions. We don't know much about what they'll do with their status in open AI, but I got to tell you, they're already using it to generate games. J.P. Morgan showed it can make money in any environment, including one with no investment banking, unlike Goldman Sachs, okay? J.P. Morgan, was a, it's like a vacuum for deposits fleeing the regional banks around the country. And just today, they bought the carcass of First Republic for a song. More on that later in the show. 3M missed again. Getting a little... Uh, getting a little agonizing, frankly. And it took charges galore. They laid off 6,000 people. Still, I don't see a way out of, the, of their situation until they put the groundwater and combat earplugs lawsuits behind them. I think it was a dismal quarter, but the stock didn't go down because dismal was what everybody expected. So I'm putting it in the OK category. Now, we own Procter & Gamble for the Chapel Trust, and it, it really showed that nice progression that we've been waiting for. Raw costs are starting to come down, but nobody mentioned rolling back their own prices to you, right? I think this was an inline, uh, this was a line in the sand quarter for P&G. I bet we'll get 
beat after beat after beat going forward because those costs will keep coming down. So the company's going to get a lot more profitable because they're not cutting prices. Travelers was just okay. The big insurance companies, this kind of ho-hum, and it can't seem to get any traction with anybody. I was hoping for something more like Chubb when we had on last week, more growth. Travelers isn't expensive. Typical earnings, uh, good sales, um, uh, I don't know. Ha, <sighs> struggling here. Good earnings, okay sales. What do you do with travelers? I think you just say, no, thank you. Verizon gave you a very strong quarter when it comes to customer additions, which is what matters. I think the stock's pretty enticing with that 6.7% yield, even as I put this one in the isn't as horrible category, which is enough to make people buy the stock, and that's why it's in the okay category with the rest of these. When you view United Health in a vacuum, the numbers were terrific and the forecast strong. The future earnings power shines through on a quarter like this one. I I still like Humana more, and you know when the charitable trust is being a big position now, but I'm, I'm in the presence of greatness when it comes to UNH. Finally, Visa reported its usual strong results. I thought the CEO got a little bogged down on their session talk, frankly. I'd own Visa because there is no financial risk, and it, it, it's an amazing way to play the reversion to sanity in the fintech space. Bottom line, that's a heck of a lot of wins, not too many losses. I know this confusion here. When I say okay, I usually mean that the stock didn't go down after reported. When I say more work to do, it means, well, they've got to figure out a better narrative and get better sales and earnings. Uh, I would keep these in mind, though, this category in mind. When we get what I think could be a difficult week, we get a pullback, maybe because of the Fed, maybe because of employment. You need to know that there's some stocks there to buy. Let's go to Kendall in Georgia. Kendall. Hey, Jim, a big booyah from sunny Atlanta. Oh, good to have you on the show. Go to that. What's going on? Thanks. I first bought this stock back in February of 21, and uh, as it kept going up through the year, I added to my position four times through the end of the year. But then in 22, it started going the wrong way, and I, uh, I trimmed my position by half. Uh, my question is, what's your long-term view of PayPal, and is this a time I should start adding well, to my uh, position? Okay, PayPal is an $84 billion market cap, and I think that it's got uh, – it doesn't have – the franchise that I thought it had, it doesn't have the growth. I, too, got hurt, just like you talked about, this time for my travel trust. I feel like you. I say this is in the Don't buy. Don't camp. buy. All right. Now, we've heard from two-thirds of the Dow this earnings season, and I still think, as you can see, most of them are pretty good. Some are just okay, and these, they really need more work. Okay. Uh, it's hard to tell whether we're going to have a bad week or not, but this is your buy list, not these, all right? Now, on Mad Tonight, after last week's busy week of earnings, I'm ranking the, the reports from four major tech companies and revealing a brand new acronym that could be worth watching. Then, could the magic get behind Disney stock? I'm going off the charts to find out, and it's a very controversial stock. Plus, I'm checking in with ResMed after earnings. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Last week, we heard from four of the mega-cap tech titans, and 
All in all, I think they did pretty well. I'm talking about Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta Platforms, and Amazon, or Mama for short. Let's take them one by one because these are some of the most important stocks out there. In fact, these four names alone weigh in at 14% of the S&P 500. And because there's some nuance about some of these that I do find worrisome, and I own all of them for the Chapel Trust, we got to go over them and be very careful here. Microsoft kicked off everything. And uh, along with Alphabet last last uh, Tuesday night, with Mr. Softy stealing the show. Yet Microsoft posted a bountiful top and bottom line beat. All three of their main divisions came in stronger than expected, with the productivity and business processes segment and the intelligent cloud segment both up double digits year over year. While the personal computer business was down 9%, that's much better than feared, especially given the fact that the, there's been a precipitous decline in the PC industry. They were down almost 35% year over year. Of course, the Microsoft quarter is never complete until CFO Amy Hood gives you the forecast on the conference call, even as traders constantly jump the gun on this one. Fortunately, those numbers were all pretty encouraging. Two things really stood out here. First, their Azure cloud infrastructure business held up much better than expected, with 31% revenue growth on constant currency basis, fabulous number, and a stronger than anticipated forecast for the current quarter, also unexpected. I believe they could be taking some share. Second big theme, Microsoft says that their early leadership in artificial intelligence is already giving them a major advantage over their competitors. That's one of the reasons their cloud business did so well. Now, we, we already knew they were a major investor in OpenAI. That's the company behind ChatGPT. But most people figured AI was a longer-term story that could, it could take ages to play out. Nope. Microsoft's already integrating AI into its core products, like Office. And they're setting it in area, they're adding it into areas they, they want to grow, like their search engine business. And there you got to think about Bing. Remember, it's not dead. In response, the stock surged more than 7% last Wednesday, even though British regulators moved to block the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Hey, this all makes sense to me. I think AI is a lot more important than expanding the video game business. All things considered, Microsoft had a very, very strong quarter. I really like it. We also heard from Alphabet. This one's a little more disturbing. Oh, yeah, they gave us a top and bottom line beat, uh, although it wasn't as impressive as Microsoft. Most segments did better than expected, with an ad revenue holding up much better than I feared. Google Cloud revenue was up 28% year-over-year. Excellent. Most important, though, Alphabet finally got religion on cost, which is how Google Cloud turned into a surprise operating profit, rather than the $641 million loss the analysts were expecting for. It was a stunning turn. Remember, Alphabet was one of the big tech companies that hired far too many people during the pandemic. Maybe they're finally showing some, uh, you know what, some rollback. I don't want to say big rollback because they didn't announce big layoffs by any means. Even better, though, the company rolled out a $70 billion buyback authorization, exactly the kind of thing you want to see if if you really believe the company believes in itself. While Alphabet doesn't give me uh, much in the way of formal guidance, management did tell us that they expect full-year capital expenditures to be modestly higher versus 2022. That was widely seen as a negative development. The analysts thought capital expenditures would be flat. However, Imagine did a good job of explaining how this new spending will go toward necessary infrastructure, uh, some investments that they really need to make, including, yes, in artificial intelligence. Plus, they told us they'd offset the cost with savings in other areas, like a consolidation of real estate. 
I hope that's the case. Overall, outfit's results were good, which is why the stock rallied 3.7% the next day, but not good enough to keep my Chapel Trust from selling some shares today because we're concerned about Microsoft Bing coming back and taking share from Google, along with a potential threat to their insanely lucrative advertising business from a recent lawsuit filed by the Justice Department's antitrust division. I think that lawsuit has merit. Any share loss, by the way, on search will be viewed most negatively here. On Wednesday night, Meta reported this quarter was indeed a blockbuster, even though Meta had already rallied 138% from its November lows. Whew. Going into the quarter, the stock tacked on another 14% gain last Thursday. Now, normally it's hard for stocks to really rally when expectations are already so high. But in Meta's case, they weren't anywhere near high enough, as I told you. Mark Zuckerberg delivered a major sales and earnings beat, thanks in large part to the recent efficiency initiatives that he's rolled out. Remember, in the last few months, this guy has laid off roughly a quarter of the workforce. That's already flowing through to Meta's profitability, and it's only going to have a larger impact going forward. Once they get over the one-time restructuring costs, think generous severance packages. They were indeed very generous. More important. Even though Zuckerberg's firing people left and right, something the Washington Post flagged this weekend as a morale killer, it hasn't truly hurt the core business. Meta's various users, uh, user accounts were up gigantically, low to mid-single digits in some cases, where I expected they'd be down. They even squeezed out some revenue growth despite a very weak advertising market. We got some very encouraging numbers from Reels. Their TikTok are better. I really like that. At the same time, they guided for great sales in the current uh, quarter. Uh, they're looking for a 2 to 11% revenue growth. I know it doesn't sound like much, but it's much better than expected. Remember, that's what matters in Wall Street. They also cut the high end of their full-year expense forecast. That was what we were most grateful for, too. Now, in the conference call, Meta made it clear that they're not giving up on their investments in the metaverse or artificial intelligence, which means, of course, they're not giving up on the losses either. In fact, like Microsoft, they pointed out that AI is already boosting their core business by improving engagement on Facebook and Instagram. It's even restored some of their ability to track the effectiveness of ads something they lost when Apple updated its privacy rules two years ago. AI is really working in favor of Meta. No wonder the stock board higher. Oh, and those morale problems, let me tell you something. They tend to go away when a team starts winning, and that's what's happening here. Even though Meta surged nearly 14% in response, the biggest move among the mom and names by far, you know what, I think Microsoft's quarter was still slightly better. Why? Because Microsoft had faster growth and genuinely expanded its margins, while Meta had slight growth, and it merely had less margin erosion than the analysts expected. Meta definitely had more improvement, though. Microsoft's doing better in absolute terms. All right, let's turn to what I regard as being the toughest one right now. Let's talk about Amazon. When Amazon gave you numbers on Thursday, and this was the only Mama stock that got hit immediately in response, sank 4% on Friday. That said, initially, the stock rallied after hours trading because the numbers on the surface were pretty darn good. But those were past numbers. Each of the three major divisions came in stronger than expected, and management showed some cost discipline for once, although I think they need to make deeper cost cuts. They got to fire more people. Only, though, the stock reversed in after hours trading, not because of the firings that were lacking, but because of a particular comment on the conference call. Amazon Web Services, AWS, their cloud infrastructure business, was up 16% in the first quarter. But the cadence was very bad throughout the quarter. Management said it slowed meaningfully in April, which is, you know, frankly, not even in the three months that were reported, falling to 11%. And that is a big step down for a group that's supposed to be the company's key growth driver and certainly a leader in profitability. Given that Alphabet and Microsoft both had terrific things to say about the, their competing services, it made me feel like Amazon's losing market share, but management says not the case. 
Contrary to what I expected, I now fear that Amazon Web Services will see its revenue growth sink below that 11% level in the next quarter, which should be a negative. But the rest of the business is coming on strong. So maybe even if it gets to mid-single digits, I don't know, maybe there's, not a, there's no real reason to panic. I mean, I don't want to be this because I only believe the AI... Uh, probabilities here could boost the Amazon Web Service business back into double-digit growth because it needs so much data center. It needs, it needs so much power. It needs so much cloud space. But I may be too optimistic about these guys, and I'm not pounding the table in my investing club to buy it. Maybe some level, maybe 95, not sure yet. In the end, Microsoft beta platforms and Alphabet are already delivering. Amazon still needs to do more work to demonstrate improved profitability. And I am, of course, worried about Alphabet's the lawsuit, and I'm worried about Bing. Meanwhile, maybe they could articulate a clear strategy with Amazon. Alphabet must improve its AI execution, too, and not just talk about it in 60 minutes. So just to be sure, perfect, great, some great bad. Here's the bottom line. April was a good month in large, but because last week was a good week. And last week was a good week because Microsoft and Meta reported tremendous numbers. Of the four mama names, only Amazon fell short, although Alphabet has some fixing to do, too. Microsoft was best, beating Meta by a nose. Alphabet a couple of furlongs, and behind finishing dead last is Amazon. Once a total fave of mine. So we have issues with Alphabet, we have issues with Amazon, none with Meta, and Microsoft's terrific. Mad Money's back at the Coming up, the Mouse House reports next week. Will it be magic, or is a happy ending not guaranteed? Find out next. story of this earnings season, so far at least, is that we're finally able to appreciate individual companies when they put up tremendous numbers. This week, that might be put on hold as Wall Street obsesses over the Fed meeting on Wednesday. But I think we could go back into stock picking mode if Jay Powell does what everyone expects, quarter point and then wait, although I am concerned he does a quarter point and no wait. But it means that we have to be on the lookout either way for great American companies that could potentially spice the upside. Normally, we like to identify these potential winners by assessing what we know about the underlying business. But there's a shortcut to help you find situations where it's worth investing your time and effort, especially when you're confused about something. Even though my mantra is buy and homework, I know the homework's time-consuming. So I always look for anything that can allow me to at least narrow down a list of stocks that are worth looking into. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with Dan Fitzpatrick. Oh, he's a terrific technician who's the founder of Stock Market Mentor. Uh, at the beginning of the year, he pounded the table on the home builders, and that turned out to be a incredible cost as everybody hated them. The charts can't directly tell you how a company's doing. It's just a pictograph of the action, right? But it can tell you what the big money's doing, and often you can glean a great deal by analyzing their footprints. For example, right now, Fitzpatrick loves what he sees in Disney, a stock we own for the Travel Trust, and it's been a real underperformer. I think he makes a compelling case here, especially after going into Disney's earnings are a little over a week. And I have to tell you, I'm concerned. While Disney's rebounded hard from its lows late last year, stock's still down nearly 50% from its all-time high in March of 2021. This is a company that's been dragged down by bad leadership and a huge balance sheet overhang because of what it paid me. It paid too much for Fox. We all know that. The leadership situation has been fixed, though. The board decided that the disastrous Bob Chapek should go uh, and restored his predecessor, Bob Iger, to do the CEO job. Now, Iger... He created a tremendous amount of, uh, of value the last time he ran Disney. I believe he knows exactly what to do going forward. He's already started making aggressive cuts in the bloated Disney Plus streaming division. 
And he's trying to find money wherever he can because he says he wants to institute a dividend by year end. Now, lately, we've also heard a lot of chatter about Disney stuff up with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. They're fighting in court about how much power state and local regulators have over Disney World. Although some would say it's all political retaliation now because now former CEO uh, criticized the governor's social agenda. I think there's just a lot of back and forth here. It won't affect the stock. Either way, it's just headline risk. Fitzpatrick thinks DeSantis is de minimis. I agree with him. Any potential negatives are already baked in the stock, frankly. If I were the governor of Florida, I would not want to antagonize the house of mouse, though. That, that's not a long-term strategy at all. It's anti-business. More important, though, is what Fitzpatrick has been seeing in the stock. For him, the only question is whether Disney's bottomed already. Boy, that's the only question I've got. And guess what? He is convinced the answer is Yes. Check out Disney's daily chart. Fitzpatrick has spotted what's known as a basing pattern here. And while the stock's been stuck at a ceiling of resistance around 102, you've seen it bounce even today. It's almost exactly what it's currently trading. Fitz says it's, it's under accumulation. Big money managers keep buying and eventually expects a powerful breakout to the upside. Why? Look where Disney's coming from. Back on December 8th, okay, back here, After spending most of last year in the House of Pain, the stock finally made a high-volume reversal at 84. That was a terrific moment. Over the next few weeks, Disney surged more than 40% to 118. So you had a climax bottom, but unfortunately, you had a climax top. Now, why did it go up so much? The quarter was phenomenal, okay? Uh, But the whole market turned negative in February, and Disney got dragged down. In the month after the last quarter, the stock lost an astounding 23% of its value, and it's really made very little headway since then. It finally stabilized again on March 13th. Since then, let's just say drifting sideways, right? Fairly light volume. Over the past six weeks, though, Fitzpatrick points out that Disney's made a series of higher lows. That's a sign of accumulation by institutional money managers. It's just that the sellers seem to step in every time the stock goes back into triple digits. Why does he like this setup? Fitzpatrick says you want to see low volume during a sideways move because it reflects complacency. Buyers and sellers are in general agreement with the price being around 100. Sometimes a bit higher, sometimes a bit lower. He also says you want to watch the Bollinger Bands, the lines above and below the stock price that reflect the level of volatility. Okay, and this is really important because this is something I learned when I was in my law school dorm. I always cared tremendously about the Bollinger Bands. Fitzpatrick thinks these bands have been the tight, at tightening of late. They're currently a lot tighter than at any point. So you see they're coming together there, whereas they're wide here. Okay, that's what he's talking about when he talks about Bollinger Bands tightening. Um, he likes it because volatility is notoriously cyclical. Stocks move from periods of low volatility to periods of high volatility and then back. In other words, right now, Disney's poised to jump out of this current congestion and make a big move. And Fitzpatrick's betting the move will be higher, not lower. Now, some of that's because Friday's trading action. You can often spot important things by comparing a stock's volume and its closing location value, meaning where does it close to in relation to its intraday high or its intraday range. On Friday, Fitzpatrick points out that Disney's volume was 34% above, that's this purple uh, circle, uh, higher than average, and it closed near the high of the day, which is very, very positive for for Fitz. In short, there was a lot of buying, and it kept coming steadily through the close. And that's why he thinks the stock's poised for a move higher, not lower. But you know what? He 
He's a technician, and he's worried that if it goes below 96.50, you have to cut your losses, uh, which is what happened last week. Now, if that happens, it means the stock has more base building work to do, so an upside breakout will be unlikely. You know what I think? I own it for the trust. We would just be a buyer if it went down to that level. Now, I want you to take a look at another version of Disney's daily chart that smooths out some of the noise by only showing some moving averages, not the actual price. Right now, Disney's experiencing what's known as a volatility squeeze when the Bolger bands are tight. I mentioned that before. And when that happens, Fitzpatrick says you want to look at clustered moving averages. In this chart, we've got key moving averages that currently fall within the Bollinger Bands. These are moving averages from 10 days through 200 days. The 200 day is in orange, by the way. We've got all these different ones, but you can see right here. Fitz likes this picture because it clearly illustrates that Disney stock is bottom, and we're already seeing a nice reversal to the upside. He's betting this rebound is going to continue. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick, suggest that Disney could be building into a major basing and then major breakout if the recent wave of buyers are right. It'll be a breakout to the upside. I think he's probably right, given what we know about the return CEO, Bob Iger, the catalyst that, that, that caused a breakout for many years to come, frankly. Now, this reports next week. Iger is only going to be working until they find a successor. But I think during this period, a lot of good things are going to happen. So it might be worth getting in ahead of the quarter on this one, because I think that Iger will tell a good story on the conference call, not the number itself. Let's take calls. Let's go to Maury in California. Maury. Yes. Hi, Jim. It's a pleasure to meet you. What an Thank honor. you. What's going on? So the company that I've uh, sort of been investing in for a number of years uh, in, in, a, in a particular sector that really doesn't get a lot of attention is the TV affiliate group. Uh, which is, uh, you know, basically the, the companies that own these various TV stations around the country. Sure. And, and the company in particular is Scripps Broadcasting. It's like one of the oldest broadcasting or media companies. Uh, you know, in, it's been around like over 150 years, uh, Scripps. Right. But here's it, my it, problem with Scripps. I do so much work with all these different uh, Internet companies I'm talking about here about, like a meta or an alphabet, and they are so much in the mix of getting big ads now that when you're on a conference call, a PepsiCo conference call, or you talk to Coca-Cola, these big guys are now using the web. They are just not as interested in the traditional TV and radio, and it's really hurt those guys. So I can't give you a, 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 a thumbs up on it as much as I'd like, like to, given the, well, how low Scripps is and how great a name it is. Let's go to Ty in Arizona. Ty. Hey, Mr. Kramer. How's this Monday treating you? Oh, it's been not bad. Thank you for asking. How about you? Not too bad. Same here. I appreciate you taking some time today. Of course. Questions in regards to uh, stock ticker symbol MODG. They recently announced a partnership with the Special Olympics to get golf involved in the Special Olympics. And then also they announced a collaboration with a company called Good Good. This reminded me of a move that Nike does over and over. It helps gain traction for the small and upcoming brands, but also the big brands. Are you well, look, I, I've got to tell you, I like the stock. I, I, I did a piece about it recently. I think the stock is very, very good, and the time is right. And I would encourage you that I think it's a terrific idea. Uh, just a terrific idea. All right, the charts is interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick, who suggests that Disney could be building up to a major breakout to the upside. Remember, Disney reports next week. Uh, we think it might be worth getting in ahead of it. I usually don't say that for a travel trust name, but it's going to be, I think, uh, I was going to tell a good story. You buy some before and then you buy some after. That's my plan. 
I don't know if I can do it because of my restrictions, but that's what I'm going to be telling people. Much more mad money head. After earnings, does ResMed have more room to run? I'm thinking of this story. It's a very complicated story with the CEO. You get a better read on the company's potential. You really want to listen to this. It could be huge. Then, after JP Morgan took over First Republic's deposits over the weekend, I'm digging the latest details and giving you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. device makers are making a real comeback here after spending a couple of years in the wilderness. Take ResMed, which makes machines that treat sleep-related breathing issues like sleep apnea. We've been following this company for years, practically since the show first came on the air. It's been a huge long-term winner. When COVID hit, the stock exploded from 150 to just over $300 because naturally you'd expect them to do more business with millions of people experiencing respiratory problems. That's where it peaked, though. For the past year and a half, ResMed's been stuck in the low 200s, even as their chief competitor's main product has been off the market since the summer of 2021, thanks to a horrific recall. Now, last Thursday, ResMed reported an excellent set of numbers, a clean top and bottom line beat, 31% sales growth on a constant currency basis. Stock jumped 7% in response. And even though it gave back a big chunk of that today, I think it could have more room to run if competition stays hobbled. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Mick Farrell. He's the chairman and CEO of ResMed to get a better read in the quarter and where the company's heading. Mr. Farrell, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be back on your program after a couple of years now. Well, let's catch up. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Uh, it seems like that the opportunities here are much bigger than I, than I ever thought when I interviewed you last. Yeah, well, look, a lot's changed in the last two and a half years, uh, Jim. Um, I would call it a perfect storm in our industry. We had a COVID crisis that we had to pivot, make all those ventilators, 150,000 of them in six months in 2020. We had to pivot back to our core business, uh, had a supply chain crisis caused by COVID that hit on semiconductors, where all the cell phones and electric cars were taking the conductors and we couldn't get them to medical devices that can save a life. We had to beg, borrow and steal, work with the US White House in Brussels, and eventually we've now got the flow back. And then, as you mentioned, uh, you know, our number two, three, four competitor now has had a recall, has been out of the market for new patients for two years, which meant we had a huge surge in demand. And as you saw, our stock shot up, uh, you know, the days and weeks that they said that they were having that recall two years ago, and we're earning our way back to it. And this quarter, finally, after eight quarters, we're able to say we've got all the semiconductors that we need for now, and we're off allocation for our customers. We were on allocation. Well, let's, eight let's talk about that, now Nick. Our, service all the needs. our viewers are probably listening saying, listen, you've got a product that saves lives, and you couldn't get semiconductors. Meanwhile, there's a lot of companies whose products do not save lives, and they got many more. How is it possible that there could be such a, a reckless system of allocation that a life-saving device does not get the chips it needs? Well, look, it's a really good question, Jim. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in Adam Smith and, and free markets. And, and together, the whole medical device industry, we got together as a group through AdvoMed, where I serve on the board. We're only 1% or less than 1% of the total number of, of semiconductors worldwide. So we had to really make the case about our devices and show, uh, uh, you know, that they do save lives. And, and in our case, we actually had a peer-reviewed published study that came out in the last year showing a 39% reduction in mortality for patients who are adherent 
to a ResMed CPAP or APAP versus control. That gave us the evidence to go to the regulators and also to the semiconductor manufacturers. And we've got the supply now and we're out of the other side of that perfect storm. And as you said, we grew 30 plus percent last uh, quarter, 40 plus percent in the device side of our well, business. I mean, when I talk to patients, the one thing that is absolutely clear is there's not enough awareness. I do some awareness for, uh, for various brain issues at, with the different uh, foundations. And I am shocked. I don't feel feel there is enough focus on what you do. I think there are a lot of people walking around with your illness and therefore your uh, the size of the market is much bigger than people think. Look, it, it's it's absolutely huge, Jim. Uh, if you add up the one billion people with sleep suffocation, sleep apnea, the 400 million with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, 300 million with asthma. These are all respiratory medical conditions. And you add on the almost 700 million with insomnia. That's over 2 billion people on the planet, almost one in four people on the planet that have a chronic disease that ResMed can treat. Our biggest competitor isn't the, the company you named earlier. Our biggest competitor is ignorance. And so getting the education and awareness out to the market through social media, social marketing and driving the, the capability for our products to save lives to the market and into patients' hands has been a, a huge journey for us these last 34 years. We're not done. It's a marathon. Okay. We're winning the marathon, but we're not giving right, up. So let's talk about the real competitor. It is Philips. It's horrific what they did. And by their own admission, I mean, it's just horrible. Uh, they're coming back in the market. I would imagine that they can't just immediately revert to where they were in terms of share, given the onerous publicity that they fixed. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So, so ResMed plus the other two and three, four competitors that are out there now, we have the capacity to take care of the whole industry's demand. Uh, yeah, that competitor is going to work with the DOJ. They're going to get to a consent decree. Will they be back in, you know, next Monday or in a year or in two years uh, when uh, the FDA and DOJ think they should be back? That's up to them and, and the government. We're ready for all scenarios. We're not looking back at the competition. We're looking forward at the billions of people that need our help. We're by far and away the market leader and we've engaged with digital health. Jim, we now have over 20 million 100% cloud connectable medical devices in 140 countries and over 14.5 billion nights of medical data in the cloud. Well, Mick, I gotta tell you, I mean, to me, your money in the bank, I don't know what's gonna happen with your competitor, but I think the real competitor indeed, as you say, is awareness. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. It has been too long, all right. That's Mick Farrell. Great to talk with you. Absolutely. It's RMD is the story. If you want to look more into it and to its competitor, who will be coming back in, that's Phillips. They have money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with Emil in New Jersey. Emil. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'd really like to hear your feedback on that Neo stock. You know what? I'm not a big fan of the Chinese stocks, and I'm losing interest in the EVs. There's too many competitors. Richard in Nevada. Richard. Hey, a big sunny booyah from Paradise, Nevada. Love it. What's happening on, Mr. Paradise? Uh, chill. So I, I believe uh, copper's going into a multi-decade bull market. What do you think about the recent acquisition of Oz Minerals 
by BHP. Well, I've got to tell you, I like BHP here with China coming back at a 6% yield. It's been one of my faves. I think you should absolutely put on a position. Let's go to Kurt in Wisconsin. Kurt. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Jim, the first time I turned on your show, you launched an office chair. It busted in like 10 pieces. You were cut and bleeding. I said to myself, I got to take investment advice from this guy. Now, done pretty good. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you very much for remembering. What's going on? I'm in the house of purgatory with a medical device maker. Uh, my catalyst for the stock going up is a weaker U.S. dollar and improvement in hospital staffing. The longtime CEO is retiring. Jim, what's your position on Edwards Life Sciences? Hey, look, they, Kurt, they just had their first good quarter. I mean, I don't think you want to ban anyone now. That could be the first of many. I like that. Let me throw in Medtronic. I'll give you a twofer. Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. Joe. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, I appreciate your call. Calling about Palantir Technologies. Got in at 18. Should I stay in at this point? Remember, we don't care where stocks come from. We care where it's going. I think this one is not going to go far at all. I'd like to see you in another stock. Not that one. Let's go to Patrick in Maryland. Patrick. M&T Bank. Okay, M&T Bank really has been suffering from this whole run from other banks that aren't nearly as good as M&T. I think with a 4% yield in the stock here at 120, I think it's a, let's say, a good stock. I don't want to pound the table on any bank because I don't like the regional banks that much. Let's go to Sinclair, New York. Sinclair. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Sinclair. First, yeah, first time caller. Oh, I bought thank the stock you. around, yeah, man. I bought the stock around twenty-five bucks. Now it's down to around sixteen dollars. Uh, Jim, should I buy more, hold or sell Zim ticker symbol? No, there's something wrong with Zim. This stock just keeps going down. Now I don't trust it. I don't trust the dividend. I think you should stay away from the group, including that one. Let's go to to Maryland in Florida, Maryland. Hey, Jim. Happy Monday. Uh, same to you. Um, I'm asking about Bunge Limited for short-term growth. A B. Bungie. Oh, you know what? No. If we're going to be in that field, we do not want to be in the Bungie. We want to be in the Deary. That's right. We want to be in D-E. That's the better way to play it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Will First Republic be the last domino to fall? Kramer on banking, the Fed, and more. Next. The mini banking crisis has reached its denouement with the collapse of First Republic and the gifting of its best parts to J.P. Morgan. Of course, the FDIC would claim it wasn't a gift. They'd say they got more than $10 billion from J.P. Morgan, which I'm sure can always pay more money than any other bank can afford in so many ways. Uh, it was a lock to win the contest. What they got for that $10 billion is a client list is second to none. And although First Republic's lost a ton of those people since the slow motion bank run here, uh, there's still a lot of good carcass for J.P. Morgan to feast on. Don't be 
wrong. I know this is a win-win-win scenario. J.P. Morgan wins because it can now pierce the informal rule that no bank can have more than 10% of the country's deposits. They were already at 10 before they bought the remains of First Republic. It's a win for other banks in the consortium who put tens of billions of dollars just to, to show some confidence in and prevent First Republic from collapsing immediately. That failed. But if J.P. Morgan hadn't stepped up, who knows what the terms would have been? Maybe those banks would have faced a total wipeout. By the way, J.P. Morgan had $5 billion in uninsured deposits in First Republic from the botched private bailout, so they were saving themselves here, too. Most important, though, America wins, because we really do need another regional bank failure. Confidence in the financial system is already so low. J.P. Morgan will provide First Republic with a generous home. What were the lessons of this tempest? First, no bank should be giving low to no interest to loans, no matter what kind of asset they're lending against. I don't care about the loan to value being high, which I know others think acts as a strong cushion as long as home prices stay high. I'm still scarred, though, by what happened in 2007 to 2009. I don't trust ever high uh, housing prices. In bad times, well, these loans will be known as what as criticized. Second, what the heck was wrong with these vacuum hammers? They let this bank and others, by the way, have excess of loans held for sale at a time when the Fed was raising interest rates rapidly, knowing that therefore there'd be real trouble. We should force those banks to keep their deposits in short-term paper so they can make good in the event of a run. Finally, the Fed put out a report about what went wrong and it left out the most important aspect, how to stop a run before it starts. It's time for the Fed to use real-time artificial Artificial intelligence to measure the rate and, and size of fleeing deposits. The recent bank failures have taught us that you can have tens of billions blow out in seconds. No human can spot this trend, at least not fast enough to do anything about it. But artificial intelligence can. It can identify these bank runs in real time. Right now, the examiners don't know there's a problem with the deposit base until the next day. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone at the Fed is thinking of this. They need to recognize that money can flee fast, which was the incredible run at Silicon Valley Bank. That's what we saw there, where a concentrated withdrawal occurred by some large customers, some of whom were quite focused on Twitter about the need to abandon the bank. Brutal. The Federal Reserve could have acted much sooner if it let machines monitor the data. It's a simple thing. It would only require a couple of phone calls. One to NVIDIA, maybe one to Microsoft. You could then reposition the bank examiners to monitor other aspects while replacing many of their duties with software. But we know the drill. The Fed won't do anything with the new technology until they've heard about it themselves, maybe in their own daily lives, maybe from their kids, which means there may be many more unnecessary losses because they just seem to have little interest in AI and how it could save us from the next run. Remember the Fed, call NVIDIA. They'll figure it out for you. Tell them I sent you. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Probably trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.